to you for you were the lamb who was slain and by your blood you have purchased people from every tongue tribe language and people infuse that upon our hearts lord let our hearts burn with that truth that your gospel the good news of christ coming dying for our sins goes to the whole world to every people lord even if we have to go to them or even if they come to us lord that you will save people from every nation so we thank you for how great this work is for it's too light a thing that Christ would be the Savior of one nation. His name must go out to every people. Lord, I pray that you would give us a fire for your gospel, a fire for the Great Commission. Lord, I pray you give us a fire for your word. Lord, even now as we study it, Lord, I pray that you'd open it to us. 
Lord, transform us by your words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 11 this morning, just looking at uh, uh, a few verses, uh, three verses this morning, starting with verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery. Brothers, (laughs) get that in the right place. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Again, we've been talking through chapters 9, 10, and 11 about Israel and the reality that uh, there's an, you know, it appears that, that, well, not appears, it actually is the case that Israel has drifted away from the Lord, that they are blind to the things of, of the gospel, and they're not pursuing God in, in, through Christ. And, and so the idea comes as to, well, what about all the promises made to Israel, and, and are they going to come to pass, and how does that all work? And can, the implication, can we depend on God's promises that he's made to us then? If, you know, if there's a question mark in reference to those to the nation of Israel. And Paul says that, you know, God is, is not done with Israel. You know, he's, the promises that he's made to them, are, he will keep, he will deliver. And the fact that, the, that Israel even now seems to be pulling away from God instead of towards God, he says that even then there's a remnant uh, that is following after and seeking after God and even drawing it to the reality, he says, I, a Jew, am, am doing so. But the neat thing that he points out is that in all of this coming together, God has a plan. And as Israel pulls away, it opens the door for the gospel to go to the Gentiles in a powerful way. And so as the gospel goes out through Gosh, even, even Paul, a Jew among Jews, converted to Christ, uh, is surrendering his heart. He, you'd think, where should Paul go first? Well, he started that way. He'd first go to the Jews, always in any community he'd go to, and then he would go to the, the Gentiles. But I would have, you know, if, if Paul had come to me in a ministry capacity and said, well, I'm ready to serve the Lord, I'd think, well, Paul's a Jew. Uh, he knows, understands everything about the, the Jews uh, where am I going to send him? To the Jews. I'm, you know, I'm gonna... Where did God send Paul? He sent him to the Gentiles. Very interesting way that God does things. But it was because he wanted to be able, I believe, to, to be able to bring all of the Old and the New Testament together and, and, and present it to the Hebrew people as well as the Gentiles uh, in the gospel. And so there's a remnant that are being saved in the process of all of this as well. But the promises made to, to Abraham in, in, in chapter 12 of Genesis that he would become the father of a, of, of a great nation and that his seed would bless the earth 
God says they're absolutely going to happen, and, and, and it's, it's still in the process, and that God is not done with them. Uh, if he speaks in, in chapter 11, verses 12 and verse 15. He talks about a time of fullness coming for Israel that hasn't happened yet. Uh, a time of acceptance, if you will, uh, where even though they have been broken off from the root of the olive tree, if you, uh, which represents the, the promises of Abraham and the forefathers and, and the seed of Christ, the root, even though they've been broken off because of their unbelief, it says God can graft them in again. And, and so he has the power to do that. Israel's fullness and acceptance is something that is in the future, is going to come. Uh, as Israel's restoration unfolds in chapter 11, uh, it, kind of, it, it kind of goes in a, from something that looks like it's possible to something that's probable to the point where we are this morning that it's absolute. It's going to happen. It says very clearly, Partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of all the Gentiles has come in, and in, in this way all Israel will be saved. And we'll get to the clarifying that in a minute, but that picture from something that kind of sounds like it might happen to, it's most likely going to happen to, it is going to happen. Paul calls this a mystery. I want you to understand this mystery. And you hear Paul frequently talk about mystery. Uh, he talks about it a lot in Ephesians and Colossians. But the idea of, of mystery is, is that that's something that was unexplained or, or hidden that has been revealed. Paul speaks of the gospel even as a mystery meaning that it was something that in the Old Testament you got glimpses of, but in the New Testament through Christ, we have it revealed to us. And actually, all of the mystery that is talked about in the New Testament focuses ultimately back to that point. The gospel message has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. Something hidden, now revealed, Something also to be understood. The idea of the mystery is not something to, to be like, well, I know something you don't know, and the only way you're going to find out is to listen to me alone. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, someone has control or power. In fact, there were things called mystery religions at the time that, that this was in, in, in Greece and other places that, that certain people, only certain people had all the answers. And unless you went to them, there was no possible way you could get things right. That's not the case with the mystery of the gospel. It has been revealed to us through the word of God in such a way that we can read the scripture and as God opens our mind through the Holy Spirit, we can actually understand. You realize how important this is? That you know, it says that, that, that people will come to the Lord through the hearing of the word of God. In other words, the Word of God is what makes it understandable, makes it clear. And, and I get excited about this thought because what it's saying is, is that it doesn't matter who you are. What if you are illiterate and can't read? Can you get saved? 
Absolutely. Because you can hear the word talk and preached and read. What if you've never, if you're not a churchgoer, but uh, for whatever reason, God has prompted you to start reading the scriptures with a desire to seek his face? Could you possibly come to the conclusion that there's a God and a Savior without having been in a church building initially? Absolutely. This is something God wants us to understand. And it's part of the mystery that he's speaking about here. He says it so clearly. He says, you know, I'm, I'm saying this that I want you to understand this mystery. Now, specifically, he's speaking about a portion of this mystery that deals with the Hebrew people, or the Jewish people, uh, and, and the Gentiles both. I want to make sure, though, as, as we go into this, remember Paul's key concern here is that he is concerned about the Gentiles boasting in their salvation and in their being called to God. And as they look and they see the, the Israel rejecting Christ as a nation, as a whole, they see themselves as God's children coming into it. There is the point where you could become caught up with the idea, well, I'm, I'm, I'm God's chosen people. We are, we are, start boasting in, you know, God loves me. God loves me best. Uh, God loves me more. Uh, and sometimes even in, you know, I've seen over the years, even times where, you know, as people even share their testimony, they want to share how God has blessed them, uh, they get sidetracked and, and kind of make it focus on them instead of what the Lord is doing. I always want to be careful with that. He wants us to, first off, not to be boastful in who we are in Christ, but to boast in Christ himself, what he has done for us and who he is. The Gentiles had developed that opinion uh, and, and apparently possibly something that was growing in Rome, by the way he addresses this, that uh, gives the indication that there was a, a, a false, a self-importance building in the way they were looking at themselves. He wanted to set the record straight. Hey, first off, the Jews have not been abandoned. They're not out of the picture. God has not done with them yet. Secondly, I want you to understand all of this so that, and he makes it really clear that, that, you, know, that you may not be wise in your own sight, self-important. I want you to understand this. Partial hardening is one of the things he speaks about here. Part of this mystery is that there is a partial hardening of the nation of Israel. By the very word partial, that tells us that it's not full, it's not complete. And of course, Paul has already established there is a remnant. And I thought about the remnant. It's easy to you know, think as, as to... Most of us coming out of Gentile backgrounds and, and uh, not knowing the Jewish culture or things about it. But think about the, the, the beginning of the church. Who were the first people to receive Christ on the day of Pentecost? Yeah, It doesn't say there was a bunch of Gentiles from all over the world. It said that there were a bunch of, of, of Jewish people from all over the, the known world, all over the Mediterranean. Over 3,000 that day 
became the foundation to the church and it continued to grow. Where did they preach first? Paul, God, uh, Christ told them, I want you to go and pray in Jerusalem and then, and then when, after the Holy Spirit comes and you'll, he made sure they, they understood, you'll know when that happens. Uh, the power has come upon you. He says, at that point, I want you to start in Jerusalem. And then I want you to go to Judea and then to Samaria and the rest of the world. So a partial hardening had come on Israel, but not complete not, and not permanent. Notice how he says this. Until the fullness of the Gentiles. And by the way, what is one of the things that Paul has already pointed out? That as the Gentiles come to, to understanding God and as the, as the, the church grows in Christ, uh, eventually at some point the Jewish people are going to be looking back at this and realize that this is their Messiah and they're going to become jealous for him. Paul says very specifically, I, I'm, I'm wanting to cause a sense of jealousy here. I want them to see that, that they're, they're missing what, could have been, what should be theirs. But there's a fullness of the Gentiles that is coming. And I, and I was looking at this, and I'm not going to get into eschatology in times talking about all of that as much as just the reality. There's a point in time, and, 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 and this idea of fullness means something that is complete, accomplished. There's a point in time where the Gentiles are going to have, as a, as a whole, come to the Lord, and then the door is going to open back to the, to the Jewish nation, to the nation of Israel, in a very, I believe, unique and special way says very clearly, and I quote it often in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, says that they're going to look on him whom they have pierced. As this completeness comes, it says in, in, in here that there's also, in a sense, a fullness of the Jews that's going to come as a result of this. As one fullness completes in, in the Gentiles, the other fullness comes of, of Israel as a result. I, I, I guess what I'm, I, I'm amazed at is just to continue to, to realize that before the foundation of the world, all of this is put together, and God is orchestrating it to happen. says, then all Israel will be saved. You hear a statement like that, and you, you, the, the word all is, is for us, you know, generally all-inclusive. In, all Meaning, you know, does that mean every Jew ever born? Does it mean the Jews at a particular period of time, all of them? Uh, how does it, and the only way I can explain this is as how we use colloquialisms. Have you ever heard something that the, the, all the town turned out or all the school went to the game, all the school turned out. Does that mean absolutely every person, everyone? No. There's a general picture of all, of, of completeness, of wholeness, this, of, of, of those that will, you know, instead of being a remnant, a small portion, it's going to be the, a huge portion of the nation of Israel. All 
All of Israel will be saved. It's, by the way, will be saved. So this is a future event. When is it going to happen? doesn't say. There's some things that you can read between the line, add some other scriptures. This could be tied together around the second coming of Christ. I believe that's a, an accurate picture. And again, because of the way Zechariah reads, that they'll look on him whom they have pierced. But the picture that's most important is, is that it's, it's the nation of Israel that God has kept his promises with. He, the, just that reality, he's not done with them. Do you realize, as a result, to put that together, all that God has done through history to keep the nation of Israel as, as a people alive in this world? Are you aware of all the things? Not just, you know, most of us are aware of the Holocaust, but that's just, just one time of the persecution of the Hebrew people that they have suffered through and yet survived as an ethnic group, as a nation. God's just simply not finished with them. I don't know how many of you re recall, I think it was in Syria that they, or maybe Lebanon, I can't remember which one now, the, the major contributory of river to the Jordan, water to the Jordan. They decided during a, fa uh, a drought that they would, uh, the, the, the Arabs decided to build the dam so that they could uh, prevent the uh, more water going into the Jordan and see if they couldn't cause difficulties for the nation of Israel. Kind of sounds like the old range wars of the, mid, of, of the Midwest back in the 1800s, you know, people damming the water up above so people down below can't get the water type of thing. And uh, as they completed the dam, they had the, 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 the most rain they'd had in, in, in generations and blew it apart. And, and, you know, God has over and over again done amazing things in, in keeping the Hebrew people as a nation and pushing towards the end of that time where he keeps all of these promises made through Abraham. And putting this together and, and going through this, one of the things I noticed however, that, that I, I just couldn't quite figure out how people came to this conclusion. In seeing this fullness of the Gentiles and then the fullness of the, of, of the Jews, Jewish people coming, that somehow there was two systems going on. I want to make sure that you understand you know, what Paul clearly presents here. As unique as the nation of Israel is before God in the sense of the apple of his eye, the, the promises to Abraham, the nurturing of the, of the nation to bring about his, his, the Christ to be born, and, and all the things that are involved in that, God's sovereign grace has preserved Israel as a nation throughout history. There's no doubt about that. But I want you to make sure you understand there is only one root tree on which the branches are attached. There's not two separate trees out here uh, for, by, in the sense of how to come to the Lord. It all plugs into the promises of Abraham, the seed 
of Abraham, Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, as Paul puts it in Galatians. And, and so the reality is, is that no matter how all of this comes together, it all will come through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. It is the only avenue to salvation. The reason why I say this is that there's, there is movements today that are saying that we don't need to evangelize the, the, the nation of Israel because God's got them covered. It's not what Scripture says. We, by all means, need to evangelize the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. There are groups all over the world that have purposed to do this. But it's interesting. I, I was reading something that John uh, uh, Stott wrote, and I thought I'd just read it to you. It is understandable that since the Holocaust, Jews have demanded an end to Christian missionary activity among them, and that many Christians have felt embarrassed about continuing it. It is even mooted uh, that Jewish evangelism is an unacceptable form of anti-Semitism. In other words, that they need to be saved, so we're being anti-Semitic by approaching them. So some Christians have attempted to develop a theological basis for leaving Jews alone in their Judaism, reminding us that God's covenant with Abraham was an everlasting covenant. They maintain that it is still in force and that therefore God saves Jewish people through their own covenant without any necessity for them to believe in Jesus. This proposal is usually called a two-covenant theology. There are, mainly what it means is that there are two different uh, salvation tracks, the Christian track for the believing remnant uh, and believing Gentiles and the track for historical Israel that relies on God's covenant with them. Romans 11 stands in clear opposition to this trend because of its insistence on the fact that there is only one olive tree to which the Jews and the Gentile believers both belong. The irony of this, writes Tom Wright, is that Late uh, 20th century, an older, uh, in order to avoid anti-Semitism, has advocated a position, the non-evangelizing non of the Jews, uh, which Paul regards precisely as anti-Semitic. In other words, not to go to them would be an anti-Semitic thing to do. It's not only an irony, it's a tragedy. I doubt that a church that surrenders the evangelization of the Jewish people in this way can keep the gospel for long. Uh, I just I, I share it with you that way because I want to make sure that you understand that that this this movement that, that and, and it's I see it in the United States uh, even at the National Day of Prayer now we have a multiplicity of people but we'll have uh, especially the idea of, of having a Muslim a Hebrew and a, and a Christian representation because after all we all believe in the same God the God of Abraham ask a Muslim. They'll tell you, yes, we believe in the God of Abraham. Ask a Hebrew, yes, we believe in the God of Abraham. Ask a Christian, yes, we believe in the God of Abraham. Well, then what's the problem? Just leave each other alone. The problem is, is that the God of Abraham was promised a seed that would bless the nations, Jesus Christ. And without him, the blessing can't come. And so we need to be keenly aware of that. You know, uh, sometimes people say, well, we're born in a Christian nation. We don't need, you know, everybody knows about Christ. We don't need to worry about getting the word out. Well, the fact that people have heard about it doesn't mean that they have them in their heart, that they, that they believe and that they've confessed. They need to understand there is a Savior and the need for him. 
Paul makes it absolutely clear in Romans chapter 1. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. All the fullness to come for the Gentiles and the Jews is only through Jesus Christ. There is no other avenue. Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. And so I want to encourage you to, to as you go through this, you know, you know, people get sidetracked, they look at different things, they hear different things, you can go online and read a lot of different things. Uh, and I just want to encourage you that as you do this, try to you know, ask God to, to guide you through and, 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 and remind your, yourself constantly. There is only one way to be saved, and that is Jesus Christ, his name alone. There is no name, other name under heaven. For all time, <laughs> for all seasons, <laughs> and, you know, Anything less than that, anything less than that, minimizes what Christ did on the cross. And some of it actually, would you would have to say, mocks it. Jesus came so we could see the Father. We could understand the, the process and see through him our salvation. Jesus alone said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. Period. How important is it that we be willing to speak the things of, of, of Scripture and the things that Christ has done for us and speak salvation to people given the opportunity? And we should always have our eyes open looking for it along with your daily prayers of, of, of asking God to seek you, search you and to examine you and to reveal to you the things that need to be corrected and confessed and changed and, and, you know, and, and the desire to see your prayer list ministered to and all those kinds of things needs to be the, 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 the prayer that God would use you today to see around you the things that need to have the, the, the gospel shared with. And sometimes it's the actions of the gospel love and compassion and the fruit coming from the Spirit that will need to be shown. Other times, it's actual words that need to be spoken. So asking for boldness. Again, think of Acts chapter 4 versus Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the room's shaken, and they speak in tongues. Acts 4, the room <laughs> repeats, and, and now they go out boldly to preach the Word of God. And we think sometimes our environment is hostile. I don't argue that. It's getting more so daily. Their, their environment was hostile. You realize that just you know, 50 days before the day of Pentecost when they went out and preached, they had crucified Christ. The same Sanhedrin, the same people in charge of the government and, 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 the, and the, all of the, the things that put Christ on trial and, and crucified him were still in charge 50 days later. And yet... God gave them a boldness to go, and then, and then weeks and months later, a boldness to continue to go and to share. And I want to encourage you that we're all called to that. It's not just the pastor or the elders or a select group, but we're all called to that.
So as we come to communion this morning, a time of recognition of, of, of uh, again, God has provided our salvation through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He came in the flesh. He died on the cross. Three days in the grave, resurrected to show that he has the power of life and that he erased the sting of death for all who confess and rest in him. Isn't that an amazing thing? Ask the ushers to come and, and uh, pass the communion out. Hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share it together. like a hurricane I am a tree Mm-hmm.